This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast in which we talk about books and the headlines and recommend to you new reads. I'm Olivia Ho and I am joined today by my co-host Toen Lee. Hello. Today we have for you, like they say at weddings, something old and something new. And uh, well, we don't really have anything borrowed, but at least one of these books is blue in color. Uh, we'll be talking about one of the hottest new novels out there, Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney, The High Priestess of Millennial Crisis, and a strange and groundbreaking new work, The Age of Age Playbook by Anne Carson, that draws on the ancient Greek play of Heracles, which most readers probably know as Hercules today. So let us start with Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. First off, what a title. I really like it. Do you like it? Oh, yes, I do. It's such a dreamy title. Um, for those who don't recognize it, it comes from a poem by the German writer Friedrich Schiller, which um, was set to music by Schubert in 1819. And I think it really does a good job at you know capturing that strange nostalgia for lives unlived, for elsewheres, which, which people say is a pretty millennial thing, nostalgia. I mean, I know everyone experiences nostalgia, but um, yeah, in a but- world on the brink of environmental collapse, nostalgia for a better, a better age, a better time seems to be something that keeps coming up. Well, Schiller was definitely feeling it in 1819. And even, you know, just as we are feeling it today in the pandemic, I think right now everyone's just going, beautiful world, where are you? Where? No, no, seriously, where? But yeah. So Rooney, um, she was already really quite acclaimed for her debut novel, Conversations with Friends, that came out in 2017. And uh, when her second book, Normal People, came out in 2018, she, um, you know, her, her renown became just sort of astronomical. So she got long listed for the Booker Prize. Uh, she had uh, Normal People has been adapted into this Emmy-nominated drama, which uh, is quite a... Quite, quite known for its, uh, for, for sex scenes, but you know, I haven't seen it. Uh, so this, this novel, it's a third novel. It was so highly anticipated, apparently, that advanced copies are selling for around US $200 on eBay. That's about, uh, 270 sing, I think. Uh, that, that was what the Wall Street Journal reported. So I was just reading that. I was thinking, oh, look at all the money that I could have, you know, we could have made because we have advanced review copies, you know, if we didn't have, have like morals. Uh, but yeah. So because there is so much hype around this book and I do think that that has sort of been absorbed into the writing. It's a, it's a book that thrums with existential anxiety constantly queries itself it's like why why do books like this exist especially um in the world on the verge of collapse uh, i'm gonna read a one of the pa- a passage from the book which is one of the characters alice writing a letter to a to a friend and she writes I was in the local shop today, getting something to eat for lunch, when I suddenly had the strangest sensation, a spontaneous awareness of the unlikeliness of this life. I mean, I thought of all the rest of the human population, most of whom live in what you and I would consider abject poverty, who have never seen or entered such a shop. And this, this is what all their work sustains, this lifestyle for people like us. All the various brands of soft drinks and plastic bottles and all the prepackaged lunch deals and confectionery and sealed bags and store-baked pastries. This is it, the culmination of all the labor in the world. All the burning of fossil fuels and all the backbreaking work of coffee farms and sugar plantations. All for this, this convenience shop. 
I felt dizzy thinking about it. I mean, I really felt ill. It it was as if I suddenly remembered that my life was all part of a television show, and every day people died making the show were ground to death in the most horrific ways: children, women, and also that I could choose from various lunch options, each packaged in multiple layers of single-use plastic. So there are four key characters. They're all millennials.、Uh, two of them, Alice and Eileen,、uh, have been best friends since college, and they are confronting being on the cusp of thirty, which is where I am now, and which when they will be soon, I think. In about three years, yeah. <laughs> so we are exactly in the target demographic for this sort of thing. Alice, who became an incredibly famous novelist in the mid twenties, has secluded herself in small town Ireland after a nervous breakdown. She says that she says I never advertised myself as being a psychologically robust person capable of withstanding extensive public inquiries into my personality and upbringing. So she's、um, gone off to sort of hide away from society. She starts dating this warehouse worker called Felix, who she met on Tinder, and he's never read any of her books, and so that's quite refreshing for her. And her friend Eileen used to be an academic prodigy, and now she works for a pittance at a literary magazine in Dublin, and she does things like standardize the spelling of W H Auden to W dot H dot Auden. And personally, I felt this so hard because、uh, yeah, never mind.、Uh, so Eileen's. Eileen's been through a bad breakup, you know, and she's grappling with her. She's got this relationship with her childhood friend Simon, who's a political advisor. So they're always in this will they, won't they relationship. You know, she they they actually do quite evidently love one another, but for reasons only known to the two of them, they just don't get together and always with other people. But、yeah, so this is basically a novel about people getting together and breaking up, of the variety that Alice herself despises. So she's always、uh, complaining about this kind of novel. She's like, "Who can care what happens to the novel's protagonists when it's happening in the context of the increasingly vast, increasingly brutal exploitation of a majority of the human species?" And of course, ironically, her own work, she admits, is the worst culprit in this regard. And.、Um, Readers are probably going to identify Alice with her creator Sally Rooney, and、uh, Sally Rooney is, I think, well aware of this. She's lampshaded it several times.、Uh, she she has Alice say things like,、uh, "What do the books gain by being attached to me? My face, my mannerisms, and all their demoralizing specificity." And、uh, so you do kind of feel like a like a voyeur in the novel. There's a certain voyeuristic aspect to the narrative. It's very minimalist. It follows the characters around like a film camera and reports the things that they do, the very minute details for their movements and their interactions. But it doesn't grant access into their inner thoughts for the most part. So what the reader does see is through their phone calls and their messages and their checking of social media, which they do a lot. And、uh, also there they have. The the correspondence between Alice and Eileen, they send each other emails,、uh, very long and quite intellectual emails, and they talk about everything from like the climate crisis to the late Bronze Age. And、uh, actually, this is、uh, one of the best parts of the novel for me. I think it's a really illuminating depiction of you know. Of friendship, of the epistolary,、uh, the art of writing letters, and、uh, you know how this can form a quite a crucial aspect of friendship. It's a very endangered art, I think.、Uh, yeah, when Lee, you've written about this before, I think. Yeah, the the art of、um, maintaining relationships via、um, yeah in epistolary form, right? Be it through letters or emails. I mean, I, I mean, I relate to this quite strongly as well because I'm in long distance friendships with most of my close friends who happen to be. 
elsewhere. So, so yes. Yeah. Um, it, it was a very relatable book and coming to it on the back of the Booker Prize reveal kind of reminded me of my frustration with much of modern literary fiction, you know, and what seems to be its growing irrelevance. I'm just going to quote a section from the, um, the book. Uni's character writes, and I quote, Our quality of life is in decline, and along with it, the quality of aesthetic experience available to us. The contemporary novel is, with very few exceptions, irrelevant. Mainstream cinema is family-friendly nightmare porn funded by car companies and the U.S. Department of Defense, and visual art is primarily a commodity market for oligarchs. It is hard in these circumstances not to feel that modern living compares poorly with the old ways of life. This is a novel that's very interior, even though it's uh, mostly very detached and exterior in its writing. So uh, some of the parts that I really enjoy are the moments when it does enter the mind of a character, which I think it does uh, It does during the wedding of Eileen's sister. And then suddenly the narrative just sort of shifts into this Virginia Woolf-like slipstream and it goes in and out of people's heads in the stream of consciousness and it dives very deep into Eileen and Simon's history and that's uh, when the novel you suddenly like it's very shocking almost uh, how wonderful that is and um, I think that even though the novel is about breaking up and staying together and uh, most of Sally Rooney's novels are about that uh, Eileen says to Alice that that is ultimately what matters to the individual, even in the face of what they refer to as general systems collapse. And then Eileen has this, uh, she's got this feel where she tells Alice, and isn't death just the apocalypse in the first person? So in that sense, there is nothing bigger than what you so derisively call breaking up or staying together. Because at the end of our lives, when there's nothing left in front of us, it's still the only thing we want to talk about. Maybe we're just born to love and worry about the people we know and to go on loving and worrying, even when there are more important things that we should be doing. And if that means the human species is going to die out, isn't it in a way a nice reason to die out? The nicest reason you can imagine? Because when we should have been reorganizing the distribution of the world's resources and transitioning collectively to a sustainable economic model, we were worrying about sex and friendship instead because we loved each other too much and found each other too interesting. And I love that about humanity. And in fact, it's the very reason I root for us to survive, because we are so stupid about each other. It's quite romantic in its own way. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very touching. I think it also points to how powerless you know young people feel about the fate of the planet. I mean, mm. it, it almost seems... I mean, there's a question of whether we're past the point of no return. And yeah, why not turn inward and care for those who are near and dear to us. Yes, um, I found this novel very relatable. I don't know what it says about me and my world, <laughs> but I, I am a fan of Rooney's writing. It's obviously very well written, immersive. It kind of pulls you in. Um, but one thing I do realize about it is that it tends to wash over you without leaving much of an impression. So it's, I don't know, I was kind of reminded of the, the act of scrolling through a news feed on social media. Um, you can't stop doing it, but it's... Um, but, but sometimes you don't get much out of it at the end. Um, it's almost like a literary Snapchat and how exactly. ephemeral it feels. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is a symptom of how we consume information in this digital age. One thing that makes Rooney's writing stand out, I think, is how sparse it is in terms of description. Um, in this book, there are no quotation marks. It is, like you say, very minimalist. Um, and it got me thinking, why, why is Rooney's writing so popular? I think it may 
be partly the result of um, you know having a good marketing campaign, but also at the same time, it must be a reaction um, to this age of information overload we live in. It's a novel of our times, and I don't think it would have gained um, so much traction if it had come out 15 years ago. Now, if you like what you're listening to, subscribe to our podcast series Bookmark This on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating too. Back to our show and on to our next book. So the next book we're talking about is The H of H Playbook by Anne Carson. Who, Anne Carson! Yes, who is one of my favorite poets of all time. Also. So, um, so Heracles is um, Hercules, as he is more commonly known. Um, and this is a modern take on the, the Greek play by Euripides. So just a brief introduction. Carson is an academic. She's now in her early 70s, um, a classics professor who is a known expert on ancient Greek. Um, I admire her sharp wit and I love her wicked sense of humor, which may not always be apparent, but it's there. So um, this isn't the first time she has brought Hercules slash Heracles into a work. Her 1998 epic poem, Autobiography of Red, a novel in verse, is the story of a winged red monster called Gerion, um, who plays the marginal role in the tenth labor of Hercules. In that particular book, Gerion and Heracles are gay teenagers in what seems to be a um, 20th century American suburb. So in the H of H playbook, um, the, the events do take place in the modern world as well, and it opens in what appears to be a trailer park. Um, and Heracles, his wife, Megara, and their kids are scraping by. Um, so for those who only know the Disney version of Hercules, um, the actual um, the original story of Hercules, Heracles is a lot more tragic. Um, after completing the 12 labors, he kills his wife and young children in a fit of passion. Um, and this version follows a similar trajectory, but it's um, it's a lot more experimental than that. So I'm just going to read out the opening lines of the play, which are spoken by Heracles' father, Amphitryon, as he walks out of his trailer. He says, By a thread hangs our fate. H of H is late. We are suppliants at an altar, being hounded by the totalitarian cracker who seized power in Thebes. I'm H of H's father. At least that's one story. Zeus claims to be the other father. There begins H of H's glory and a fair amount of worry ontologically. What's it like to wear an eternal Olympian overall held up by the burning straps of mortal shortfall? So I think the rhymes are a big part of why this book seems so funny. Um, at first glance, you wouldn't expect something like this from, from someone like Carson. Um, in video recordings, interviews, she always seems shy, distant, uh, but she's one of the funniest poets I've read. Um, and she does do a good job of capturing the drama of, um, of the story. It's told in different voices, um, different characters, um, Heracles, um, Theseus, Megara, for instance, um, enter and exit the page. Um, and there's a, there's a briskness to it. I think, um, what Carson often does is rage against the possibility of boredom. Um, she's just so witty that it's impossible to feel like, um, you're trudging through mud. Um, I must point out as well that this is a very experimental piece of work. Um, the book is a bit like a scrapbook um, with um, with rough illustrations, um, smudges, which seem a bit like abstract art, something you might find at the Tate Museum, for example. And the poetry itself is um, it appears as snippets of text, which seem cut and pasted onto the page. And um, yes, one thing about the book is that it's 
unmistakably erudite. I mean, it's ancient myth for the masses, but it also has that very Carson-esque um, tendency to lapse into absurdity. Um, I don't know. I found it to be the, the literary equivalent of watching Elvis's Stonehenge music video. What is <laughs> In that? In a way, um, it's basically this, um, it, it went viral on YouTube a few years ago, quite a few years ago. Um, this um, band, Elvis, um, did a parody music video um, inspired by Stonehenge, um, asking what's the meaning of Stonehenge? Is it a giant granite birthday cake or a prison far too easy to escape? Um, so I, I just love how um, Elvis's video, like like um, like Carson's poetry, kind of straddles that, that line between seriousness and bathos. Um, I, I recall I recall a, a verse in Elvis's Stonehenge where the singer says, "How could they raise the stone so high, completely without the technology?" We have to die. <laughs> yeah. So you see, you see both converge here. You know, Carson and Elvis. Who would have thought? Yeah. So um, it, it's a it's a modern take on the on the on the Greek myth um, with modern day allusions to Lenin. Um, I think she tries to play on the idea of labors as well. You know, with labor, um, Lenin, the proletariat, the color red looms large. And um, there is a very strange digression as well among the pages where a character complains about the ending of Mansfield Park. <laughs> yeah, so on the whole, I, I really enjoyed the H of H um, playbook. It is a breezy read. I think I finished it in less than two hours. Um, I'm still trying to digest what I've read. It's but my favorite Carson poem is still The Beauty of the Husband, a fictional essay in 29 Tangos, a book she published in 2001 um, that was inspired by her divorce. And I always remember it for this um, declaration she makes um, in the middle of the, of the book. Like doubled is love, love doubled is madness, madness doubled is marriage. Aww. So that's... <laughs> it's very quotable. So that's classic Carson. She does this very skillful, elegant dance on a page where you know depressing topics like divorce and homicide are distilled and sublimated into something quite absurd. Well, Carson does the classics. I guess that's a way of bringing you know what what people consider to be very old and irrelevant issues into the modern day, and actually you know even the, the, these things are both very timely at the same time, quite timeless. And I think that's one of the quality of really good classic adaptations. Anyway, that's what we have for you this episode. Once again, thank you for listening to us. I'm Olivia Ho. And I'm Toa Lee. If you have been listening to our Bookmark This podcast, which you can subscribe to on your favorite smartphone audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, like us and rate us. We'll catch you next time. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.